Welcome to the Debutiful Podcast Feed. This is the first taste reading series where each week I invite an author to read from their new book and answer a few short questions. You can find Debutiful on the internet at debutiful.net and on all social media at Debutiful. Today's guest is the author of the memoir Wild Game, which was selected as the best book of the year by NPR, Washington Post, and Debutiful. She founded the literary magazine Zeotrope All Story with Francis Ford Coppola and currently serves as the executive director of Aspen Words, a literary nonprofit and program of the Aspen Institute. Her new book, Little Monsters, is out now. Please welcome Adrian Broder. Hey, Adrian. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. I um, am so glad your publicist reached out and she's like, hey, um, Adrian has a new book out. She's it's not technically a debut because she wrote a memoir and I was like, it, it counts. I loved Wild Game, which was your memoir from 2019. And now your debut novel that we're covering is a little monsters. Tell readers a little bit about it. Um, well, as anyone who's read my memoir knows, I am ever so slightly obsessed with family secrets. So it should come as no surprise that they loom large in my new novel, Little Monsters. Um the book is set on Cape Cod in 2016. And um, I think what's interesting about it is it follows a very small family, a father and his two adult children, um, at a time when something major is at stake for all of them. And they are just sort of trying to gauge when to let the others know. Yeah, definitely. Um, I have a lot of questions about this and your memoir. Uh, but first, we'll just let you dive right into the reading. What part of the book will you be reading for us today? Well, I thought I'd read from the beginning, but not the very, very beginning. And I'll also add that this, this is the very first time I've read from the book. Um, oh, I love so it. I'm excited yes. to do it. Um, it's where we learn that Adam, uh, who is a renowned cytologist and the patriarch of the Gardner family, he's 70 years old. And we're just learning that he is sort of entering a manic phase. He has bipolar disorder. So I'll start in the Adam section. Take it away. To his credit, at the onset of this latest bout of insomnia, Adam followed protocol and made an appointment at the clinic in Hyannis, knowing full well what to expect. A blood draw, a barrage of questions, an adjustment of medication. What he hadn't expected was that the doctor who'd been treating him for the last three decades had retired. Why Dr. Peabody hadn't bothered to inform him directly was beyond him. 30 years was, well, a very long time. Adam pointed out the oversight to the front desk clerk, a busty young woman with blue fingernails who assured him that an email had been sent off to all patients the previous month. Had he thought to check his junk folder, she asked, clicking together her talons. Adam started to answer, but held his tongue. Who but an idiot would bother to check a junk folder? He followed her down the hall to the exam room, still puzzling over why his longtime doctor, at least five years his junior, would have retired. To do what? In Peabody's place, a kid half Adam's age, outfitted in tight pants and alarmingly bright orange socks, strode into the exam room. Was it too much to ask that the person evaluating his mental state have at least one gray hair on his head? The new doctor acknowledged Adam only cursorially, opting to study his electronic patient chart first, mistake number one, 
Mistake two was when the, the mistake two was the doctor's lecture on sleep hygiene. For the love of God, why not just call a thing a thing? Passed away, big boned. What was so wrong with dead and fat? Euphemisms were the tool were tools of the feeble-minded. Hygiene brought to mind feminine products, something Adam did not wish to contemplate, but that led him to think about parts of the female anatomy he did like to contemplate. Stay focused, Adam reminded himself. He took note of the boy's weak chin. I don't think we've had the pleasure of a proper introduction, Adam said, cutting the lecture short. I'm Dr. Gardner. In his lifetime, Adam Gardner, PhD, had an acclaimed career as a research scientist for the Cape Cod Institute of Oceanography, CCIO to those in the know. His glory days were in the late 1970s when as a young scientist, he was part of a team that disproved once and for all the notion that life could be sustained only by a photosynthesis-based food chain. In the pitch black depths of the Pacific Ocean north of the Galapagos Islands, they encountered evidence in the form of foot-long clams, giant red tube worms, and spiny white crabs, that even in darkness, there was life. Adam and his team discovered and named more than two dozen species. In the decades since those early successes, he'd become one of the foremost experts on cetacean biology, studying the population dynamics and communication of humpback whales. Beyond these, his professional accomplishments, he was a Vietnam veteran who had single-handedly raised his two children after his beloved first wife, Emily, died suddenly at the age of 30. In short, he wasn't about to let some kid outrank him. Thank you so much for reading. For the first time, that really means a lot to me as well. <laughs> um, you mentioned uh, Wild Game and Little Monsters both deal with family secrets. Um, both memoirs and novels take a long time to write. Were you writing these at the same time at any point? No, not at all. I was actually um, on tour for Wild Game mm -hmm. when, you know, March of 2020 happened, which yeah. meant going home. Um, I was very lucky to have a, a nice long runway with the hardcover before that happened. Mm -hmm. But it was when I got home that I you know, actually had the time and energy to write again. And at least how the process works for me is I feel like I start to pay super close attention to what I'm noticing. And my mind sort of kept going to siblings and, and why the relationship can be so complicated. You know, the idea that these two people who grew up in the same household, but had entirely different experiences. So that was really sort of the the point where the idea launched and then you know obviously it went in many directions yeah yeah i'm always i've been noticing a lot recently that books regardless of their political or not are set around 2016 um yeah why was 2016 right for this book i feel like it was just an inflection point in our history. And even in real time during 2016, I just, I felt hyper aware of some uneasy mood. You know, it was like we were all collectively aware that the ground was shifting, even if we were, you know, hoping and thinking or assuming wrongly that it was going in one direction and went in another. But I think that there was just really, it was sort of a perfect storm. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. It was interesting in 2016. uh, I think that was the first time where as as a voter, you know, I'm 34. So that was like my third election, I guess. Mm -hmm. Second. Yeah. Yeah. Two Obamas and then Trump. Um, It was just like, it it felt like a different world. Like, uh, like I was like watching an out of body experience, even like in my mid twenties, I was like, what is happening to the future? Um, But your book's not necessarily about that. I I do appreciate you brought that up though. Yeah. But it is interesting because my book takes place entirely before the election, Mm -hmm. but it's kind of subversive that the reader knows stuff that the characters don't. Yeah, definitely. And with with the secrets, with 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 things coming to a head, um, did I guess what came first, the idea of these characters, their secrets, like how did everything play out? Because there's a lot of moving pieces. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> anyone who can explain the process of writing a novel, God bless them. I mean, it is you. It, all these things work in tandem, and I feel like. I had the idea of siblings. I did some research. You know, I read, uh, you know, I went to the source of sibling rivalry, which is Cain and Abel. That is like Mm. the slimmest story on earth. I got nearly nothing from it. (laughs) Um, But I did get a concept for a structure from it because, of course, in Cain and Abel, they are offering gifts to God. I'm not remotely religious, nor is the book religious, but the two characters, which in this case are a brother and sister, are giving gifts to their father on his 70th birthday. And as I said, there's something sort of big at stake for each character. So they're also kind of covering up what they're giving to him because they they want to have that element of surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned there was, the book went in a lot of different paths. Um mm-hmm. I'm always curious, like how many drafts, not necessarily a number, but like what changed? How often did it change? When did you know it was finally working? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, the truth is, I think every writer writes really differently. I am not one of those people, although I wish I were, who writes the like horrific first draft and then goes back and edits it a thousand times. I, um, I write very slowly probably a good day is a page, but if you mm-hmm. write a page every day, you can have a book in a year, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so I, but to me, I can't, unless I know that the structure is really solid, I can't move on to the next chapter until I have a chapter that feels strong enough to hold up the next one, which isn't to say I don't go down some wrong paths and delete chapters and so on. But I, I don't, rewrite the book entirely dozens of times i rewrite each section as i'm moving forward dozens of times Mm -hmm. if that makes sense oh totally and but but you have to write with fiction because it's you know i mean the difference between memoir and fiction obviously i mean they both take a certain amount of writing chops and commitment and diligence and all that but um with fiction it's also so an entirely creative process. I mean, with memoir, you do tend to know the point of view, which is the first person, mm-hmm. and you know the elements of your story. There's a lot of craft involved in shaping and for the crazy concept that is <laughs> your life. So with with a novel, there's there's a lot. It's it's much more elusive. At least I found. I felt like it was always like 
that feeling of chasing a dream or something. You wake up, you've got moments of it, you're trying to remember the details. And so there's something about steering the ship and something at the same time about letting the ship steer you. Because I think you do need to allow for moments of surprise for your characters to really come into their own. You know them a little bit at the beginning and, and some of them are clearer to you than others, but it's it's through the writing that you get to know them and then you sort of shore up as you go along, if that makes sense. Yeah. Between, you know, writing memoir and writing fiction, does do you feel one of these books came more naturally to you? I, obviously they're both hard and, and they're completely different processes, but at your core, did one seem to click easier? Um, I don't... I, they were hard in different ways. Yeah, I mean, sure. the, the memoir is obviously sort of emotional, and there were also sort of four years of process, forty years of processing yeah. before I wrote it. So, on some level, it came easier because when I finally wrapped my head around how I was going to write Wild Game, and I knew the voice, and I decided to write it straightforward in memoir, it it actually came out fairly quickly. Whereas uh, it wasn't that Little Monsters took so much more time, but it was everything came from nowhere, you know, on mm -hmm. any page, mm -hmm. a character can die, they can get pregnant, they can miss a, you know, a taxi ride. I don't know, you can it just, yeah. there, there are so many decisions to make. Yeah, you, you said, you know, you, you write rather slow one page a day, but you know, 2020 to 2023 is relatively short in like our writing and publishing industry. I mean, people obviously right. can no, go faster. That's very true. I do do it diligently every mm -hmm. day. I do not, um, there has never been a time where I'm waiting for the muse to strike. I get up every morning at five o'clock. I come to the desk. I wait for the muse to catch up with me. I, I, um, and I think I also do, which I think a lot of writers do a lot of work when I'm not at my desk. I, mm -hmm. I'm, thinking about it when I'm walking, when I'm cooking dinner, when I'm, you know, and, and when you're in the, you know, that vortex, the great vortex of writing, when it's all going well, it's like every conversation, every ad on television, every, you know, something mm -hmm. you've eavesdropped on, it all adds to it. And it, it it's kind of very consuming. It's all you're thinking about. But um, yeah, I mean, I guess if it's one page a day and it's a strong page that is that is fast but that's probably why i'm not writing a thousand words a day <laughs> thank you so much to adrian for joining the day beautiful podcast first taste reading series to read from her debut novel little monsters you can find her on the internet at adrianbroder.com and on twitter and instagram at adrianbroder you can find day beautiful at daybeautiful.net and on all social media at daybeautiful as always I'm Adam, this is Day Beautiful, and you're all beautiful.